0: All right, Romans chapter number 8. Again, if you would, Romans chapter number 8. It's not often that we will spend two weeks on a single verse. But we only got about halfway through all we needed to look at last week in Romans chapter number 8. So we'll just review this verse again. We'll read it together. Uh, And kind of remind ourselves again of where we've been, I'll try to give you a very quick review of what we've already covered, give you the overview of what we're intending to get to today. Romans 8 verse 18, the Apostle Paul writing here says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We looked very intently at that phrase, the glory which shall be revealed in us us. The Bible tells us throughout the scripture that there is times of suffering and times of trial that we are experiencing now. We looked at how that no trial, no time of suffering is easy, and we also looked at the reality that if our trials were without pain, uh, they would not accomplish the purpose in which God had sent them for. However, what Paul is trying to get our minds and the readers of his day, of course, to look at is to get their eyes off of the Times of trials now, and to remember those trials in comparison to the glory which shall often, will one day rather be revealed in us. I gave us really three different things that we need to have a correct view of, and we only got about halfway through the second one. But those three things that we need to have a correct view of or a correct understanding of were these. Last week we looked at the sufferings of this present time and we uh, established the fact that Paul was talking about the sufferings of this present time was the age between the resurrection of Christ and his coming again. In other words, anything in that time period is this present time. But it also referred to the time in which Paul was living. It's a a literal thing, but we're living in... In that same time between the resurrection of Christ and his coming again. So we needed to understand that the suffering believer must have a correct view of time. We need to realize what time we are actually living in. Number two and where we left off was that the suffering believer must have a correct understanding of Christ coming again. The suffering believer must have a correct understanding of Christ coming again. Notice the Bible says, shall be revealed. There is something that is still to come. What is our comfort in this day and age of affliction and trial and and trouble? We comfort ourselves with the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And we began looking at a number of different verses. I think uh, by my notes here, we maybe only got through seven different verse references regarding the coming of Christ and how that should be our comfort and our consolation in this present age. Now, we're not going to go over all those that we covered last week, but I do want to take us back to some verses again today that remind us of the comfort and the consolation that is found in the coming of Christ. We've got to have this correct understanding of Christ's coming. Uh, hold your place there in Romans 8, and let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and look at verses 15 and 18. Now, my, my intent this morning will be to just read these verses. I will uh, provide very little commentary on these today. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 15 through 18. We'll just read them, and then we'll, we'll move on to a couple other verses. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 15 through 18 The Bible says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Those verses give us the hope of this future glory. Go over to Ephesians chapter number one, with verse number 10. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning, Ephesians chapter number one, verse number 10. Again, keeping in mind, a correct understanding of time and a correct understanding of the coming of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Again, we see the word. God's glory, the glory that will be revealed, that which is to be, which will come with the second coming of Christ. Philippians chapter number 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse number 20. The Apostle Paul writing here, in the midst of advancing the gospel, he reminds those that are advancing the gospel about the coming of Christ and what we're looking for. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation... Is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What is the hope of the saint? What is the hope of the believer? The hope is the arrival of Jesus Christ. At the sight of Christ, believers, we will become like him and receive these glorified bodies. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verse 10. First Thessalonians 1, verse 10. Again, notice the comfort that is found in looking, waiting, anticipating the coming of Christ. And again, if we're in that present age between the resurrection of Christ and his coming again, this is appropriate for our day in which we live, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The guarantee of Christ's second coming was his resurrection. The reason we know there's a second coming is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he comes again, he will rescue us from all the sorrow and all the misery that we see in this day-to-day life. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12. Paul, between here and the end of this chapter, is dealing almost exclusively with the second coming of Christ. The Bible tells us in verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, what? Uh, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now notice Paul's ending to this particular chapter. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Christ's bodily descent and future resurrection of the believer. This is a source of comfort for not only the church, but for all believers throughout all ages. We comfort one another with the words. We comfort each other as suffering believers. We comfort each other with the coming and the promise of Christ's coming again. First Timothy chapter number 6. This is a recurring theme, this comfort that is found in Christ's second coming. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 13. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. These are the final exhortations in this particular epistle. Paul writes these words, "...I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, that before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ." which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, there's coming a day when Christ will reveal and show himself to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The book of Titus, chapter number 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Again, look. And listen for the words looking or waiting. Verse 13, the Bible says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That phrase, exhort and rebuke, it, it literally means press the truth. Press the truth and its implication. In other words, press these things that they have an, an influence on your hearing, how you think, how you respond. These are comforting words. And then Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 28. Hebrews 9, verse 28. And great promises in here. The Bible tells us, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When Christ returns again, he'll not appear bearing the sins of the people in order to die again, but he will bring with him this final, complete salvation. Again, these are words meant to comfort us. James 1.12, this was part of our scripture reading last week. The Bible tells us, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That crown of life, that comes when Jesus comes again. And then James 5, verses 7 through 8. James 5, 7 through 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Drop down to verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, now notice the connection between what Paul is writing in our, in our text, Romans 8.18, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And then 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Something future. Same chapter, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away verse 10 same chapter but the god of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by christ jesus after that ye have suffered a while make ye perfect establish strengthen and settle you and then finally revelation 22:20 20. the cry of believers throughout all ages has been these simple words revelation 22:20 20. he which testifieth These things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. When we use those words, even so come, Lord Jesus, we are speaking of the promise of his return. The central message of the entire book of Revelation throughout all of its arguments and throughout all of its pictures and throughout all of its types and allegories and things, the picture or the central message of the book of Revelation is that Christ will come. That is the hope of his people. I have hope today because of the coming of Christ. I have hope in my suffering because I have a correct understanding that when Jesus Christ comes again, he will make things better all things right. The Bible says those things shall be revealed back in our text in Romans 8:18. 8, Paul has told us that the sufferings of this present time between the time of Christ's resurrection and the time of his second coming, those sufferings, those afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. They're not worthy. What does that mean? The future happiness or the future hope of us is expressed by the word glory. This glory, in this, that glory of this world only has a faint resemblance of it. In other words, when I speak about the glory of God, I only have a glimpse of that. When I speak about the glory of God, I only see just a picture, a small portion of what the glory of God actually is. However, this glory has already been given to Christ. He already has that glory. This isn't something that Christ is waiting for. He has entered into the the possession of eternal glory. Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God the Father, He is in eternal glory, and He is eternally glorious. But right now, that part is unseen, You and I don't see that with our eyes. We don't see the eternal glory of God. When we read these texts and you notice there was a connection between the coming of Christ and many of those and this glory that is to be or this glory that is to come. We're going to reference a couple of them again in just a few moments. But there's a connection between when Christ comes again, the the manifestation or the revelation of this glory, what this glory actually is. Again, we only have a glimpse of it. But Christ, one day, this is going to be fully revealed. That's what Paul's talking about here. But again, notice this text. They're not, the sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed or manifested where? In us. That tells me something. And it's going to tell you something in just a moment. We're going to see how is this glory going to be revealed This glory of Christ, which right now we don't even fully see it. It's just a glimpse of it. Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father as a mediator. How is this glory of Christ going to be manifested or revealed in us? Well, kind of a hint. One of the things that we're going to do is in our our glorified state of knowledge, our glorified state of holiness, We're going to have a picture or be able to see what this glory of Christ actually is. Now again, what is Paul saying? He's saying when you compare the two, when you compare what you're going through now and that glory that be revealed, the sufferings of today are not worthy to be compared with that. So here's the reality. No matter what that glory that's going to be revealed in us looks like, even if we don't fully see it, fully understand it, it says about that that what we go through now is not even going to be worthy to be weighed in the balance or compared between the two. So even if I don't have a full, complete understanding of the glory of God, I know enough now, and I want you to remember this, I know enough now that the present sufferings of this life are not not worthy to be compared to the eternal glory that will be revealed in us. My afflictions, when I compare it, even that small glimpse that I have. But he says it's much more than that. He said there's something that still is yet to be revealed in us that we don't know. Between the sufferings of believers in this present state or this present age and our future, there is no comparison. That's not just a comparison in the quality of it but it's also not in comparison of the quantity of it, exactly what it is. Every affliction in this life is considered light in comparison for what we actually deserve. What do we actually deserve? As bad as our suffering is now, what we actually deserve is hell. We actually deserve to be separated from Christ. But yet in this promise, not only are we not going to be separated from Christ, there's going to be the eternal glory of Christ is going to be revealed in us. He's not saying afflictions aren't important. And he's not saying afflictions aren't painful. He's not saying that suffering's not real because the Bible talks many, many times about the sufferings of the believer. But when they're compared to the glory which will come, and to compare what we should be, which is the torments of hell, everything in this life is a light affliction. That's the idea doesn't mean it doesn't hurt but when you compare it to what could be and what should be and then you try to compare that to what will be there is no comparison that's that's a very practical application and exposition of that glory is referred to scripturally as the weight of glory that means there's something behind this So the suffering believer, we must first have a correct view of time, the time in which we live. We know where time we live in now. We're living in that time, that present age, when Jesus Christ can come at any moment. But we've also have to have a correct understanding of Christ's coming. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for his return. And then thirdly, the suffering believer must have a correct view of his or her personal sharing in eternal glory. The suffering believer must have a correct view of his or her personal sharing in eternal glory. That's what the words in us means. So again, we have this verse, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Uh, There's no original language here to try to study what this means. There's no real way to say what does he really mean. He's connecting this glory that will be revealed, will be revealed in us. The word in, literally, it is to, to be inside of, to be a part of. It doesn't say it's on the outside. It says it's in us. Now, here's something about what we're dealing with today. When we as children of God, there is already an eternal glory, a part of eternal glory that now exists within us. When Jesus Christ saved us, Jesus Christ is the, he is the glory of God that he are his righteousness dwells in us. In other words, there is a part of this eternal glory that's not just something we take comfort of knowing. There's a part of this eternal glory that is already present within us. It already exists. It's already there. But when Jesus Christ comes, it will be fully revealed in us this glory of who God is. Now there are there's a lot of scriptures that I could have taken us to to kind of show us this, and I've just I pulled about four different scriptures that I'm just gonna I want us to read them together that give the indication or show us that this eternal glory that's being mentioned here. Now again, being revealed, fully revealed in us, it's already present. In other words, there are things within us that show that we have the presence of this part of this glory already. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34. I want you to notice the words here. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34. The Bible tells us here, as in this particular chapter, Jesus has been teaching his disciples to be watchful. He's teaching his disciples to watch concerning the final judgment. Matthew 25 is Jesus unfolding or pulling back the curtain of his coming glory and the glory that will be found in his final judgment. That's, that's what the crux of Matthew 25 is really about. This is, this is God uh, literally saying, here's the unfolding of what, of what my coming is going to be like. And let me just say, as a believer... This should not be a fearful thing. The second coming of Christ is not a fearful thing. When the Son of God comes for His children, when He comes for those that have been adopted in a family of God, He is, he is coming not as a taskmaster or not as, as somebody who is going to, to treat unfairly. He is coming as our, as our, our advocate. He's coming as our uh, merciful brother. He is coming not to condemn us, Believers shouldn't fear the second coming. But notice what he says in Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. This verse tells us that Jesus will come again as the king who has already received An incorruptible kingdom. Daniel 7, he's referred to as the Ancient of Days. This kingdom, he's already in possession. It's it's already there. Okay, but it's not been fully revealed. But when he comes, he comes in his glory. Verse 32, and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. You notice this division is based upon just sheep and goats. All nations, from every race, every tongue. But there are sheep and there are goats. The sheep are his children. The goats, of course, are those who are not. This is the the nations. This is a universal judgment. This is not just talking about Israel. This is a universal judgment of all nations. Notice it says a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. If you study ancient Near East history, especially with the shepherds, you would find at the end of every single day, it was a customary thing that a shepherd would have to separate the sheep from the goats. It would be done with some kind of a command. Notice this command. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, that's the sheep, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What, do, what does this tell us about what we're reading? We already know about this eternal glory. We already know that when Jesus Christ comes again, he's coming in his glory. So we're not in the dark about this. Today, when you talk about the glory of Christ and his coming again, we speak as people who have a common understanding, Jesus Christ is coming again. This is not something that's hidden from us. So we already have a part of this. 2 Corinthians 5, look what the Apostle Paul said in this particular part of this letter, 2 Corinthians 5 verses verses one through eight. Again, I'm giving you a lot of this and I'm hoping that we just, we, we just grab hold of this. 2 second Corinthians five verse one, Paul here is describing the eternal home of believers. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What's Paul saying there? He's not saying, I think it's the case. He says, we know that if our earthly house, our earthly house is not the home you're going to go home to when we're done here. It's, it's your tab- it's your home, it's your body. This is, this is referred to as the earthly house. If we have a building of God, not, it's eternal in the heavens. For in this, what is this? This earthly body we groan. Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. The, our house there is a reference to the resurrected glorified body. In our earthly body, we are groaning. In our heavenly body, it is a resurrected glorified body, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. To be clothed is to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. If you're found naked, you're found without Christ. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. The mortality there is a reference that the death by sin would be swallowed. There would be no more death as a result of sin. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Earnest is kind of like a, it's a down payment, but more specifically, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you guarantees these truths. Everybody following? That guarantees it. My guarantee of being in Christ is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are sometimes confident, No, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, that's that tabernacle that groans, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul's confidence remained even in the midst of suffering. See, you've got to remember, the Apostle Paul knew what it was to suffer. Why did Paul make the statement, we walk by faith and not by sight? Because in the midst of suffering, Paul was tempted to say, is this really worth it? Now, again, I don't believe he said that. I believe his confidence was so that he says, listen, I'm confident even though I'm suffering because of the promises of God and the glimpse of the glory I already know. I already have a glimpse of it. It's not been fully revealed yet. And when it is revealed, it's going to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3. Again, we're dealing with the suffering believer, having a correct view of his or her personal sharing in eternal glory. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Paul's This is the reference of Paul's heavenly vision. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter." Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Paul gives this account of, he knew a man, and almost uniformly everyone knows and believes that Paul was speaking of himself. Paul's saying this, I don't know if it was a vision or I was physically transported. I don't know if I was taken up to heaven, which is a reference to God's dwelling place. He said, I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know what it was. And remember, Paul is, is moving away from the topic of boasting from his experiences. He's talked about hardships in chapter number 11 in the ministry. He's talked about all sorts of these things. And he said, Listen, I could use this as a thing to glory in. He said, I saw things that are, I heard unspeakable words. Now, why were they unspeakable? They're unable to be repeated. They're unable to be spoken. He doesn't fully grasp them yet. You get people that come back and say they've been to heaven and they've seen God and yet they come back telling these stories yet the apostle Paul, whether it was a vision or whether he went physically, he said, I came back and I heard unspeakable things, things I couldn't say. That boy that went to heaven that sold so many books, one of those two books, it's all been recanted by the way. The father told the son, what to say, and the son said it. And the son, when he got older, he said, I confess, this, is, this I, didn't, I didn't go to heaven. I didn't see any of those things. My dad put me up to it. The reality here is Paul is talking about something that he saw, but he was not able to completely come back. Paul knew that even the visions that he had, it could lead him to pride. Paul, of course, goes on in this chapter and he speaks of the, the thorn in the flesh. In the midst of suffering, he saw this glimpse of this glory, but he didn't fully understand it all yet. He couldn't even speak it. Then 1 Peter 1, which we were just there a few moments ago, and I said we would return to some of these. 1 Peter 1. We'll look at verse number 3. 1 Peter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's that word reveal again. Heaven reserved for the believer. The believer is preserved until he reaches heaven. Both of those preservations are by the power of God. We're kept by the power of God. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season... If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory, when? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. And here it is. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing... Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In the present time, believers know Christ, but they don't yet see him. We know him, but we don't see him. Faith will one day become sight. I have part of that already in me. That's why I see these things. That's why I understand these things. Drop down to verse 11, that same chapter. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. This verse refers leading to the circumstances leading to Christ's sufferings. One of the great things about our salvation is that it's enhanced because the Old Testament prophets spoke of this glory that was to come. Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension, and him sitting at the right hand of God. This is the spirit that has revealed these things to the prophets. It's the same spirit that's revealing the truth to us. That same spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is that earnest, that guarantee. Verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think about that for just a moment. And then verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, that's about Christ, but here it is, but was manifest, were revealed in these last times for you. Christ's death and his resurrection to glory were ordained by God before time began, but made visible for the good of of those reading Peter's letters The last times refers to the end times, Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. They have brought into the final age of what's referred to as redemptive history. That's where we are. We are in the final age. We are waiting for that coming of Christ. We're waiting for that complete revelation or manifestation. The sufferings of the believers are only for a time, but our glory is eternal. There is no comparison to be made between what we suffer now and what will be. There is no proportion we can put them on. There is no comparison we can make. When the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8:18, 8, I reckon it was not his personal opinion or a doubt of the truth. It was a deliberately after deliberately weighing these things. And understanding them, he came to this conclusion that this is the conclusion of the matter. Now, whether or not you draw it from people saying this is a settled matter or a person who says, listen, all that can be done has been done, but Paul's when he says, I reckon or I account these things to be so, he says this with confidence, and he says that next statement with confidence when he says, I reckon that my present afflictions, I think he could speak personal. First person, he could say, I, Paul, my afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in me. Paul could say that. You and I could say that. The sufferings for the name of Christ we suffer now are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us or in me when Jesus Christ comes again. The glory here that's spoken of could very simply mean the the complete revelation of the glorious gospel of Christ. You know what's amazing to me? That right now, when you ask believers, just on this one level alone, share the gospel with me, it's not always consistent. There are variations of the gospel. There is only one gospel. There is, there is only one gospel that is right. There's only one gospel that is a glorious gospel of Christ. That's why Paul warned in Galatians, if any man come preaching another gospel, if he's preaching anything other than the glory of Jesus Christ, he's preaching anathema. He's preaching something that's to be cursed. The, the Gentile world compared to the Jews... They were exposed more to this glorious gospel of Christ. They saw it more. And to say these phrases in us or by us or through us, the apostles, these sufferings are nothing. But this eternal glory that exists now within us, when Jesus Christ comes, it will be fully revealed to us. The last thing I want us to look at this morning is this. We will not merely be spectators of his eternal glory. The Bible tells us we will be a partaker of His eternal glory. You say, "What does that mean?" I think sometimes we look at when when Christ comes that we're just going to kind of be like an audience sitting watching all of this. Now, the reality is, is it's not just a spectator. If you recall, Romans eight seventeen said this, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. What's the next phrase? That we may all be also glorified together. We will not just be spectators watching this play out like some kind of a production. The Bible actually teaches us that we will actually be partakers. To partake means to be literally a part of. When we read this morning in 1 John chapter number 5, a couple of chapters before that, 1 John 3, I read this almost at a point that you probably already have it memorized. But 1 John 3 again reminds us of this glory, of how we are going to be a partaker of his glory. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, Now are we present, the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We see, this is not just a spectator. We shall be as he is. And then one verse I read to you, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. I read it and didn't say much about it. But Peter, as he writes, he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And notice what he's saying. Peter could say this, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I saw them physically. I saw them take him away. But notice what Paul says. And also a partaker of the what? Of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, Peter could have, referenced, could have been referencing Christ's earthly sufferings. He could have referred to his own sufferings, but he's referring, he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. But look at that phrase, a partaker of the glory. A partaker of the glory is an anticipation In anticipation that the glory of Christ will be revealed for the joy of those in the faith. In our redemption, we have the greatest manifestation of the glory of God. In our salvation and in Christ and our redemption, we see the most direct manifestation of the glory of God. I like what the old Puritan wrote, Thomas Boston, he said this, in our redemption by Christ, we have the fullest, clearest, and most delightful manifestation of the glory of God that ever was or shall be in this life. And that's the key, in this life. All the declarations and manifestations that we have of his glory in the works of creation and common providence are but dim and obscure in comparison with what is here. Indeed, the glory of his wisdom, power, and goodness is clearly manifested in the works of creation. But the glory of his mercy and love had lain under eternal eclipse without a redeemer. Paul, as he reminds us again of what this present time is. This present time is a time that is marked by suffering. He says we've got to have this proper, correct understanding of Christ's coming. The shall be revealed. But we also have to have a correct view of sharing personally in this eternal glory, the in us. Now I'm going to give you just a I'm going to just move just a, a briefly to verse 19. because I want to set the foundation for next week. And again, this isn't the end. This is just one verse. And so we're not going to walk out of here today with the full conclusion of this glory, okay? This is kind of of the appetizer setting the table for what he's getting ready to say. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God, waiting for the glory of God to be revealed. That's what he's talking about here. Paul plainly teaches that we will certainly be renewed. We will certainly, there is something about this, about the, the world as it is now is going to end. It's not going to continue. But he's also saying there is something that we right now we're doing. The whole creation, the creature, not just us, The entire world, the entire entire creation of God awaits something. They're awaiting a glorious time when Jesus Christ comes again and the world is made new. The sons of God are manifested when? In their resurrected bodies that true glory that will be revealed in us will not be revealed in us until it's revealed in our glorified resurrected bodies, but it will be revealed in us, and that's kind of the the point we're making here. That cannot be fully revealed until we're in those resurrected bodies. It's deep stuff, but man, this is exciting. Because you're talking about something that is still yet to come, that's a guarantee, and the way you know you're going to get that resurrected, glorified body is the down payment of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in you right now and just the glimpse of glory that you have now. But there's something better. Those resurrected, glorified bodies, they won't know suffering, they won't know affliction, they won't know sin. It's interesting that Paul speaks about the creature, but even creation, now this blows my mind. Creation is even groaning, begging for Christ's return. You say, that seems kind of strange. What do you mean? You mean the trees? (laughs) It's one of those things that makes the mind just go, doesn't it? Because he goes on and he talks about it. He talks about the creature being made subject to vanity. He talks about the creature itself being delivered from bondage of corruption. He talks about the whole creation. Look at verse 22. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So I don't want to give next week's message away because that's where we're going. But the glory that shall be revealed in us. Have a proper view, suffering believer. Have a proper view of time. Have a correct view of time. Suffering believer have a correct understanding of Christ coming. And then, suffering believer have a correct view of sharing in or his or her personal or sharing in the eternal glory that's coming. And we'll review the rest. We'll get into that next week. Let's stand all around if.